Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. We end today with western gray squirrels. They are the largest species of tree squirrels. They traditionally make their homes in low to mid-elevation forests, where historically they could find plenty of suitable habitat. But that habitat is disappearing, and so are the squirrels. Now, the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife is suggesting changing their state-level status from threatened to endangered. Mary Linders is a conservation biologist with the agency. She joins us now. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. It's good to be here. You have been studying western gray squirrels since they were initially listed as threatened in the early 1990s. Why were you drawn to them? I actually moved to the Hood River area um, at that time, and there was a volunteer effort going on to map their habitat, to map the oak habitat in Klickitat County, Washington, because of concern about the status of, of the habitat and the status of the squirrels. And so because I wasn't working yet, I kind of got involved in it that way because I'd been doing a lot of mapping um, prior to that. Um, and that was just kind of this thread that um, led me to learn more and more about their habitat and really become um, entrenched, I would say, <laughs> um, in learning about their status and and, um, trying to help in whatever way I could. Hmm. We put up a picture of a Western gray squirrel on our website that we got from um, your agency. And last night we got an email from someone who was very sure about their abilities to distinguish different kinds of squirrels. They wrote in part, because it was a long email, they wrote in part this, I myself know these squirrels are eastern gray squirrels, not western grays. They're from the east coast, not native to Washington state at all. I am from the east and have seen these all my life. Someone is wrong or seriously confused about the Washington state squirrels. Can you help this person and all of us out? I mean, how can we distinguish between different kinds of squirrels that we might see? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And to be completely fair, when I first moved to this area from uh, Minnesota, I was confused as well. Um, I always thought the squirrels back east looked totally gray until I had to go home and see that, in fact, they are brownish gray. Um, And that is not what a Western gray squirrel looks like. A Western gray squirrel is gunmetal gray. It's about 25% larger than an Eastern gray squirrel. Its tail, as you can see from that picture, if you get a look at it, is the same volume as the body. It has very long ears and very long feet. So those are all things that distinguish it from an Eastern gray squirrel. Both species do have a, a whitish belly. But the eastern gray squirrel does have a brownish wash all through the face and down the back and through the tail. Are people in Washington or in Oregon likely to see western gray squirrels digging in their gardens or just, you know, going down the street in urban areas? Not in most places. Um, Eastern gray squirrels have been introduced not only to the the Western United States, but in places throughout the world, and they've been very successful as an invasive species. 
So that is a species you're likely to see in a lot of urban areas. There are some places where western gray squirrels um, have done okay in urban areas, definitely down in California and perhaps some of the areas in um, southern Oregon, you may find them in some of the cities as well. But it's select locations, um, especially in Washington. It's very rare um, to see them in urban areas at all. Can you give us a sense for their lives, their their lifestyles? I mean, their their nests and habits. Yeah, they are, as you mentioned, a tree squirrel. And so they use um, what I consider to be a transitional forest type between um, oak woodlands and conifer woodlands. And so, and they really like large seeded tree species like oak, like pine. Um, down in Southern Oregon, you actually get a whole diversity of large seeded species. Up in Washington, we're kind of limited mostly to oak, um, maple, ponderosa pine and um, dug fir are most of the trees that they use up here. Um, they use those trees not only as a source of seeds, but also for nesting. Um, they use them for escape cover from predators. They also have um, feed a lot on hypogeus fungi or truffles that are associated with the roots of these trees, um, but that grow underneath the ground. So their whole world really revolves around the future of these, you know, fairly large trees. Small trees don't produce the seed that they need, um, or the the good nest locations that they need to persist. Hmm. So, what are the hallmarks of, of prime habitat? I mean, if if you were walking around, what would you look out for? Let's say you 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 weren't even seeing squirrels, but how would you know this was a place where they might be? Great question. Um, I would be looking for a relatively open understory, so not dense, shrubby, or lots of small trees, because that's all. Those are all places where predators can hide. Um, I would have thought that's where the squirrels could hide. Well, <laughs> that's a good thought, but there's also bobcats, coyotes, all kinds of other things that might be hiding in there. So, um, like I said, they're a tree squirrel, so they will move through the trees, but they will also run along the ground, both in order to cache seeds and also to look for those um, those truffles that I mentioned earlier. Um, so they need to be able to see around them um, and get to a tree for safety um, in, in their environment. So as I mentioned, they also need large trees. Um, those trees need to be um, clustered so that they provide um, protection to the nest. If the nests are really exposed, that leaves them open to predation by owls and by um you know, forest birds, forest hawks, um, they need those trees to produce a lot of seed. If the seed trees are too dense, then the tree, the seed production is the first thing a tree is going to give up um, when it's stressed under those conditions. So we're looking for this kind of patchy um, um, environment where there's, there's gaps in the canopy, but also clusters of trees and an open understory. I imagine squirrels are not crazy about a century of fire suppression in the Western U.S. That's correct. <laughs> and for a whole bunch of different reasons. Um, you know, not only does it create a very dense um, forest, um, especially in the understory, as I mentioned, but that also leaves those stands vulnerable to um, invasion by beetles um, because they really like those kinds of small stressed stands. Um, so, 
um, yeah, it's it's caused a lot of issues for sure. And it, and it, of course, stresses the larger trees, as I mentioned, which reduces their seed production. Um, it also actually impacts that, that fungal layer as well. So you don't get the same kind of fruiting bodies as if you've got some space in that forest. What are, story. what are the other threats currently to Western gray squirrel habitat? Um, other threats actually include um, timber harvest, uh, especially where that's kind of being implemented in a, in a, um, a clear-cut fashion. Um, obviously, if there's no trees, there's no tree squirrels. Um, land conversion is an issue in some areas. Um, you mentioned fire suppression, um, but also the flip side of that is wildfire. Um, wildfire has been a, a huge issue for us, especially over the last decade, um, as we see uh, you know, climate change really exacerb- exacerbating drought conditions and the size of fires and frequency of fires increasing. How big of a habitat decline has this led to? And and how big of a decline in actual numbers of squirrels has that led to? Yeah, so so based on a habitat change analysis that we conducted recently in Washington, um, we are looking at more than a 20% decline in um, what we call Western Gray Squirrel primary habitat since um, listing in 1993. Um, primary habitat is that portion of an individual squirrel's home range that they spend the most time in. Um, it, it's where they nest, where they feed on a daily basis, especially in clement weather. Um, during you know the winter, they don't go as far to forage. Western Gray Squirrels sleep in a nest every single night. Um, now, you can have some of those components out in the rest of their home range, but that primary habitat is really, you know, what they need. If you think about it, you know, in human terms, it's it's your house and your yard. Um, we go further than that, you know, for some of the other resources we want, but we spend the most time right there. Um, that habitat has declined more than 20% since the, the species was listed. So we're really headed in the wrong direction on that front. Um, as far as squirrel numbers, we don't have a good handle on squirrel numbers. We have um, definitely tried to estimate that, and it's very difficult. It's kind of a needle in a haystack problem. Um, so they're they're covering a, a pretty large area of the state, but with very low numbers. Um, so the the opportunity that we used or the, the option we used instead was to conduct occupancy surveys. So we get an indication of how much of that habitat that um, we feel appears to provide the right resources, do we actually have squirrels occupying? And that those occupancy levels were relatively low. Now, this was just baseline data um, since we've had to kind of change our strategy. So we'll conduct these surveys again in a few years and see um, how occupancies change, whether it's gone up, whether it's gone down, whether it's stable. Um, but it will take some time before we can actually establish trend in the population itself. What we did see from those surveys, though, that um, were conducted only in the very core parts of the species range is that even in those you know, really important areas, the, um, the distribution is spotty and fragmented um, across that. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now about Western gray squirrels. Mary Linders is our guest, a conservation biologist with the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife. The agency is suggesting changing the state level status of these squirrels from threatened to endangered. What would that, as it's called, uplisting, a, a more serious level of, of listing, what would it actually mean? What would it lead to? Yeah, it, it, it's first and foremost a heads up 
um, you know, both to us as an agency and to the partners we work with, that there's more work to be done and that we need to try harder um, to turn the tide of, of where things are headed. Um, we never want to see a species, you know, that's already listed actually be in worse shape decades post-listing. Um, one of the challenges of a species, you know, that's reliant on trees is it does take a long time to actually change the habitat itself, to change that trajectory and to actually regrow habitat that's been lost. Um, so we'll certainly be looking um, to work with a lot of different partners, try to increase our level of outreach, um, hopefully try to create some incentive programs where we can work with private landowners to, um, you know, do good things for the habitat on their land, perhaps some of this kind of what we call bottom-up cutting um, that might mimic fire better, so getting rid of a lot of those smaller trees that um, might be actually um, hazardous for squirrels and be suppressing um, the growth of larger trees. Um, will be, um, you know, doing a whole suite of, of different things and different types of outreach with, you know, fate, state, federal, and private partners to try to turn it around. You mentioned state and federal and private partners. Uh, my understanding is we're, we're only talking here currently about state-level protections in Washington. They're not listed federally, and nor are they listed in Oregon. Are Western gray squirrels in Oregon faring much better than in Washington? Um, I don't want to speak for the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife. There is an excellent um, fact sheet on their website um, under their Living with Wildlife section. Um, it does indicate in there that they believe squirrels are declining in Oregon and they are considered a state-sensitive spe um, species in the Willamette Valley portion of Oregon. Um, it, it is good that they are, you know, paying attention, they're watching, they're concerned, because oftentimes when we have um, endangerment in one part of a species range, it's more a matter of time um, when it, that kind of um, bleeds into other parts of the range, right? Oftentimes the threats, it's not that the threats aren't there, it's just maybe they haven't become as bad as they are in Washington, right? So we do want to be paying attention to these things ahead of time. I want to go back to what we talked about at the beginning, the, the confusion between western gray squirrels and eastern ones. How much of the western gray squirrel decline is a direct result of competition with the newcomers? We really don't have an answer to that. We did conduct some research to look at um, whether the two species were interacting. Um, that was done on um, Joint Base Lewis-McChord here in Western Washington in a rural part of the base. Um, what we found there was that in uh, the Eastern gray squirrels were using um, more moist areas of habitat near marshes and some riparian areas. And Western gray squirrels were um, more common in, in the upland areas. Um, however, there was overlap between the two species. And you can imagine, you know, in an area where um, conditions might be different, there may be less um, wetland area. Um, obviously, eastern gray squirrels are all over cities, all over all kinds of things. And they, they do well around people. So they have a lot of supplementary food sources and are maybe a little less sensitive to that human presence than um, western gray squirrels are. So in some landscapes, there actually may be some competition. We didn't detect it um, in any major meaningful way on, you know, in that particular environment. Um, those results were kind of similar to a study done many years ago down in California, um, also in a rural area that showed the species kind of 
partitioning out a little bit. So, and that, that is a common thing species do. It doesn't pay to be in direct competition with um, another species if you can find ways to avoid it. Hmm. What's it been like for you personally to witness the decline of a species that you've devoted at this point, something like three decades of your career to? Yeah, it's, it's really difficult, you know? Um, <laughs> even when I started, I, I, I mentioned that I was mapping um, the habitat in Klickitat County. And when I went to actually ground truth that work, there were many times where um, I would arrive on a site and, you know, behind the loggers and the logging activities. And so it was like, oh, I can't tell whether I did a good job of mapping this because it's gone, right? Um, and that was that was really hard all the way back then. And to see that we have been, you know, not as successful as we want to be in kind of sh- shifting that um, trajectory is is difficult. And and certainly watching the scale of the wildfires in the North Cascades that should be frightening to anybody. Um, these are stand replacing wildfires that in an area that would have had um, more sporadic fire, more of a moderate intensity fire regime, where you'd have patches that burn and patches that are skipped, not just you know, burning large stands to the ground. Um, once you do that and you change that fire regime, it's really difficult to regain uh, a suitable forest structure. Mary Linders, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Mary Linders is a conservation biologist with the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife. Tomorrow on the show, as overdose deaths in Oregon reach alarming proportions, a coalition is pushing to significantly overhaul voter-passed Measure 110. They want to recriminalize the possession of drugs like fentanyl and meth. We'll hear from one of the members of the coalition, the former director of the Oregon Department of Corrections. Our production staff includes Elizabeth Castillo, Roly Hernandez, Gemma DiCarlo, senior producer Allison Frost, and managing producer Shiraz Sadiq. Nalene Silva engineers the show. Our technical director is Stephen Cray, and our executive producer is Sage Van Wing. If you don't want to miss any of our shows, you can listen on NPR's app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Our nightly rebroadcast is at 8 p.m. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. We'll be back tomorrow. Think Out Loud is supported by Stephen Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, Ray and Marilyn Johnson, and the Susan Hammer Fund of the Oregon Community Foundation. Thank you.